Hi everyone and welcome to the Private Practice with Soul podcast. This is the first podcast for counsellors that just don't align with the traditional approaches to business and that want to use their spiritual gifts, talents and interests to create, you guessed it, a private practice with soul. So look, leave it to me to provide you with everything you need, including strategies that you can use to increase your income, reduce your workload and of course increase inquiries and referrals to your beautiful soul-led private practice. I love it so much. If you haven't done it already, grab your journal, grab your pen and let's begin. Lovely therapist, welcome to another episode of the Private Practice with Soul podcast. I'm so pleased that you're here today. We are going to be talking about Medicare and the reason for that is because as you're probably very well aware with the you know next 24 months the development of national standards for counsellors in Australia is is sort of all geared toward getting counsellors onto Medicare and so I thought it might be helpful to um, you know be totally transparent and honest with you about what Medicare is and what it isn't because there's a lot of misconceptions in our community and I just want to make sure we're all on the same page about this. So I'm bringing to this conversation my experience of 20 plus years working in Medicare and working privately as well without rebates Um, and this is hopefully going to be a very informative session for you so if you don't have it already you might like to go and get your private practice with soul podcast journal and a pen and we're just going to get started so Uh, The way that I'm going to approach this today is I want to explain, um, you know, the basics of Medicare and go over that for you. And then I want to talk to you about counsellors now, um, whether or not they should be or should not be accepting mental health care plans, because this is also an issue that people are discussing in our community. So I want to give you some information about that as well. So I'm just going to start with what it is and then I'll move into my experience of it as a practitioner and then we'll go into, you know, things to just be aware of as a counsellor. So first off, what is it? So look, it's called um, Better Access for short, Better Access to Psychologists and Psychiatrists. Um, But anyway, it's a scheme that the government put in place I want to say, gosh, maybe it would be about 18 years ago now. I remember when I first started working as a psychologist, it had only just come in. Um, Prior to that, psychologists were um, private fee paying. They weren't on Medicare. They were on other things, though, like WorkSafe and Victims of Crime and things like that. But it took the Australian Psychological Society a long time to really advocate for psychologists and get them onto Medicare. So um, when did I first start practicing? 97 maybe or 95 no 97 yeah so around say 1995 I think was when Medicare was first introduced so I'd have to check for you for psychologists so it's really not that long in the grand scheme of things about 20 odd years and since then it has gone through some changes like when it first came out we were able to see people 18 times a year so um Medicare works to calendar years and a calendar year is the 1st of January to the 31st of December and so we're able to see people 18 times um, and 
you know, that person could get a rebate. So a rebate only applies, a rebate is money back, right? A rebate means money back. Now, if you were delivering services under Medicare and you were not charging your client a gap fee, right, and the client was receiving a service totally free for them, um, then you got the rebate, right, which back then was like $70. Now it's about $89. It's $88 or $89 uh, for a psychologist. Um, so what was I going to say? I'm just losing my train of thought again here. <laughs> um, yeah, so you would get that money and you used to have to um, process that rebate and we do it, do it through Haluxy. Um, it's just you can process it automatically through Haluxy and you get that $89. Now, it's not great money, is it? And that's for psychologists that have masters and PhDs. It's not for psychologists with diplomas and grad dips and stuff like that, bachelors. So, you know, it's like EAP money, maybe even less than EAP money. So, you know, maybe don't get too excited about that. The other thing, um, though, the benefit of it, though, for clients is that if you're going to just charge your normal rate, which should be, should be, hopefully you are charging $150, if not, Let's have a conversation about that privately <laughs> because you need to be charging your worth. If you want to be seen as professional, you need to be charging as a professional. And it's not about your worth as a person. It's about the worth of your service and you all provide um, valuable services. But anyway, let's say you're charging the $150 as a counsellor. If you were on Medicare and you charged your $150 and the client paid you that $150, the client would then get 90 back, 89 or 90 back, right? So that's the benefit to the client. So the client's still out of pocket, you know, 60 bucks or whatever it is, but they're getting some money back. And that's how it, that's how it works. And they get that money back every time you deliver a service. Now, if you have a cancellation, the client doesn't get a rebate because you did not deliver a service. So depending on your cancellation fees, which hopefully are 100%, another conversation we can have because um, there is context around that, of course, um, but hopefully they're 100%. Your client needs to understand and it needs to be in your terms or in your um, consent form or your onboarding, your intake, whatever it is. Um, they need to understand that they don't get any money back for appointments that they haven't uh, attended. So you need to make sure like there's just a little bit of admin stuff there. But anyway, this is how it works. And now it's not 18 sessions. Now it's 10. It's dropped back to 10. So there were extensions through COVID. Those extensions are no longer in place. Now it's back to 10 sessions. So um, they can have 10 sessions between the 1st of January and the 31st of December. Okay. If they don't use all of those 10 sessions, they do carry over. The unused ones do carry over into the next calendar year. Um, and a referral from, you need a, to have a referral from a GP. And I'm going to go into that in a moment. Um, it needs to have a whole bunch of stuff on it. And that referral letter doesn't expire either, okay? So anyway, um, there are different item numbers. So when you uh, want to work on Medicare, you have to apply for a provider number. 
and you need to have a provider number for each location that you work at. So uh, working from home, even if it's online, is considered a location. And then if you go and work at therapy rooms somewhere else, that's considered a, another location. So you have a provider number for each different place where you work, where you work from. Um, and you also have a different item number for the different types of services that you provide. So um you will be given a list of these and you can Google them at the moment. I mean, you're not on Medicare yet if you're a counsellor, but you can certainly go and have a look at what the um, current ones are. But um, it's like short consults, long consults. So they all have different item numbers. Okay. And your practice management software. So I just refer to Haloxy because it's what I use, but there's Power Diary and Clinico, all those sorts of ones. I don't know if Splos uses Medicare numbers yet. They probably wouldn't if they're not um you know working with practitioners that are on medicare i don't know i haven't checked but the numbers will automatically be populated in there for you so you won't have to worry about that but each service it's kind of like when you work with ndis how you've got item numbers it's the same with medicare so you can think of it like that okay so i'm just going to read the description for a session here um let me go back no Okay, so a session here, I've just got group, no, oh yeah, okay. The better access to psychiatrists, psychologists and general practice practitioners through the Medicare benefits schedule commenced on the 1st of November 2006 under this um, MBIS Item numbers were provided for the following things. Psychological therapy, which is provided by clinical psychologists and focused psychological strategies, allied mental health provided by psychologists, OTs and social workers. Okay. There are 24 items for the provision of individual psychological strategies, focused psychological strategies that are delivered by a psychologist um, for delivery via video conference and phone by a psychologist, um, by an OT, by phone and video by an OT and by a social worker and by phone and video by a social worker. All right, so make up the 24, okay. Referrals. Um, services provided under focus psychological strategies um, don't attract a rebate for your clients unless the referral was made by a doctor or a medical practitioner who's managing the patient under a GP mental health treatment plan. Um, a referral has been made by a medical practitioner who's managing the patient under a referred psychiatrist assessment and management plan or the referral was made by a psychiatrist or a pediatrician. Um, now, Medicare rebates are available for 10 individual mental health services in a calendar year. The services may consist of GP or medical practitioner focused psychological strategy services and or psychological therapy services delivered by ClinSykes and or focused psychological strategies delivered by everyone else. So psychologists, OTs and social workers. Patients um, can also get an extra 10 claims per year for group therapy. So um, thinking about your business model, um, you know, over the next, say, five years, counsellors, you might want to start thinking about running or, or planning or preparing for the delivery of group programs. It's another idea for you. Um, 
okay where the patient has already received the maximum number of services under the under that referral per calendar year um, they may be eligible for primary health networks phns funded psychological therapies if they meet the relevant eligibility criteria so you can there are phns um sort of around the country you can find out if you have a phn in your area and the details for it just with a quick google search um, so service and length type is services provided um, must meet the time period of the item number so if you're using a sh an item number for a short session so a, a short session just means a minimum of 20 minutes um, a long session means a minimum of 50 minutes okay and you're uh, only allowed to use the following uh, interventions so psychoeducation including motivational interviewing that's the first one the second one is cbt the third one is relaxation strategies. You can use progressive muscle relaxation and controlled breathing there. The next one is skills training. So problem solving, anger management, social skills training, communication training, stress management and parent management training. Or you could deliver interpersonal therapy, especially for depression. Or you could deliver narrative therapy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Or you could do EMDR if you're an EMDR practitioner. So you will note there, there's no PCT, there's no art therapy. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that as a counsellor, you may be um, delivering and working with primarily in your practice now that if you wanted to work under Medicare, you wouldn't be able to deliver. Um, if you were, yeah, um, charging your client and the client was getting a Medicare rebate and you were using a service that wasn't one of those ones I just mentioned, you'd be committing fraud and you'd get into big trouble for that. So just bear in mind that there are restrictions around the types of interventions that you'll be allowed to use. Um, so if you do want to work under Medicare and you don't have training yet in CBT, you would need to go and get training in CBT if you're going to use that intervention. If you don't have training yet in progressive muscle relaxation or controlled breathing for teaching people about relaxation, now might be a good time to put it on your PD calendar to do this training over the next 24 months. If you want to do skills training with clients that are referred under a mental health care plan, like problem solving, anger management, social skills, communication, training, stress management and parent management training. Again, pop them on your PD planner so that you can make sure that if you end up on Medicare, you're, you're ready and you can um, go and apply for your provider number and you're good to go. Um, and same with EMDR, right? Um, so course of treatment and reporting back to the referring medical practitioner um, you, your client can have 10 sessions with you in a calendar year so they might have I don't know however you want to do it you, you could say monthly maybe they're going to come monthly um, whatever but when this um, within this maximum service allocation you can provide one or more courses of treatment um, and this enables the referring medical practitioner to consider a report from you on the services that you've provided and the need for further treatment 
So on completion of the initial course of treatment, you must provide a written report that you will not get paid for and you cannot charge a client for. Um, you've got to do it in your own time. On completion of that report, you have you that report, sorry, needs to include information on what assessments you carried out. So if you're not proficient with um, doing assessments as a counsellor, you're going to go need to do training on assessments. P.S. If you're an educator here, can you hear all the opportunities for you now? <laughs> like to, to set up some training courses and some training programs. You also need to provide information on what treatment you've provided. So it doesn't say counselling, it's the treatment. And you need to provide recommendations on future management of that person's disorder, right? Um. So usually what happens is we're talking about, you hear the, the um, information here talk about courses of treatment. So what usually happens is the client doesn't automatically get 10 sessions. They may be automatically eligible for 10 sessions. However, you would normally see them for six sessions. So you're going to get a referral letter from the doctor. On that referral letter, the doctor will tell you how many times you can see the client. The, the doctor will usually put five or six and then they're going to need a, a report from you. Again, that I mentioned, you, you don't get paid for doing that report. But you've got to do that. Um, and if you think that the client needs the additional four sessions that they may be entitled to, you need to make a recommendation in that report. And then you can't see the client. Well, you can, but you can't use a Medicare rebate with the client again until the doctor sends you another letter which says, okay, we've got approved, you've got approval to go ahead and use Medicare for the remaining four sessions. And then when you've completed those four sessions, you have to send another unpaid report to the doctor. Now, the reason I'm saying it's unpaid is because I want you to understand when you're doing counselling, and you're not on Medicare, you can charge for everything. You can charge for your um, phone consultations with doctor or any other involved practitioners. You can charge for emails, you can charge for letter writing, you can charge for reports. But when we're working with Medicare, you can't. You can't pass that um, charge on to the client either. So I just want you to be aware of that. Um, it is admin heavy, Medicare. Uh uh, what else do I want to share with you here? I'm just doing a quick scan of the Medicare website and, and pulling out the salient points for you. Right, now this is really important, checking your client's eligibility. So on Medicare, it's your responsibility as the recipient of a referral on a mental health care plan to check that the client that you're working with is actually eligible now I know it kind of sounds like we well, shouldn't the doctor have done that and you know, maybe we should make the clients responsible for that and things like that but I think at the end of the day um, it's your responsibility but um, it's saying here if there's any doubt about a patient's eligibility Medicare can confirm whether a um, GP mental health treatment plan or and or a psychiatrist assessment and management plan is in place and claimed or um, an eligible psychiatric or pediatric services being claimed, as well as the number of any allied mental health services already claimed by the patient during that calendar year. Now, this is so important because I remember when I was working under Medicare, I was, um, I had a room, I was, as you know the story, I was um, renting rooms in big bulk billing practices. 
and uh, you never knew who was who was going to show up on the day. And there were instances there where I was delivering services to clients and the medical center were doing the billing and they would pay me and they would, on my pay, they would deduct 30% for the rent of the room. Um, and then they would just give me the balance. But I never knew um, who I'd been paid to see and who I hadn't been paid to see. And there was one time, and I never thought to ask, right? I just trusted that I was getting paid for everything and everyone. Turns out, no, I wasn't. Um, and it caused big problems. Uh, I was underpaid $18,000 at one place, which is why I left that place. Um, and that's all my own fault because I never asked for a breakdown of you know these are the clients that I saw last week these are their names who did we get the rebates for who didn't we get the rebates for that was my error and I'm sharing it with you now so that you know please if you are going to work under Medicare and the medical center is going to do the billing for you which they will usually um, and they're just going to pay you a lump sum each week less your rent please, please, please ask them for, it's called a batch summary, ask them for the batch summary um, so that you can see for yourself who you've been paid for. As I said, I never did that. I just trusted, like, I don't know, sometimes I'm a bit naive and I, I like to see the good in everything and everyone and I, I live in my own sort of world where everything's nice and beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And I never, I never, anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but what ended up happening was, there were many instances where doctors had given me referrals to see people, but those people had already had multiple sessions of counselling with somebody else. And so they'd exhausted their rebates and it meant I never got paid. I did a whole bunch of work with clients and I never got paid. And I did do things like I would say to the client, have you seen a psychologist this year or have you seen an OT or a social worker this year on a mental health care plan? And the clients would say no, like that. And they'd sign a piece of paper to say no. Um, and I would just believe that. I never thought to check because do you know what? If you're going to check every single new referral, you're going to be on the phone to Medicare a lot and there's more unpaid time and stress and it's taking away time where you could be on the couch with a client. So anyway, it's really important that you understand um, whether or not somebody's got sessions still available. So they get 10 rebates a year. Find out. You're going to have to do the work. If you have uh, a virtual admin, like I used to use One Point Connect. Um, I think they're based in Brisbane. They were amazing, but they can, if you, you can get reception or you can get your admin person, even if they're virtual, you can get them to ring Medicare on your behalf, um, you know, as a proxy for your practice and find out as new referrals come in, does Joe Blow um, have a treatment plan in place yes or no and if so how many claims has Joe Blow already made this year so Joe Blow might come in for the sessions thinking that he's going to get 10 sessions but if he's already claimed six he's only going to get four with you or if he's already had three with a psychologist didn't like that psychologist now is coming to you he's only got seven left right you need to know that um, and it also means too just an aside I would recommend you update your consent form to say 
um, in situations where you have exceeded your rebates, I was going to say rebatable sessions, where you've exceeded your annual rebates under Medicare, better access with your um, treatment plan, you agree to pay privately, right? Or whatever, but have a line on there to cover yourself. Um, Yeah, so there's numbers. If you need to find out the eligibility, and maybe you're a psychologist, a social worker, and OT listening to this now, but the phone number is 132150 to check the information. Um, You can call 132150. That's the number for providers. Or if you want your client to do the heavy lifting, which I don't recommend, um, you can give them this number, 132011, 132-011, okay? The patient won't be eligible if they've not been properly referred and a relevant Medicare service provided to them. So this is really important. So if they haven't been appropriately referred, I'm going to talk with you about um, referrals in a moment. But the second part of that and a relevant medical Medicare service has not been provided to them. That means if you have a, if you get audited by Medicare and Medicare learn that you provided a service that was not included in the ones we spoke about previously, you will be responsible for repaying to Medicare all of the rebates that that client had with you in that calendar year. So it doesn't matter if maybe it was you did, I'm saying play therapy or art therapy, I'm just pulling them out of the air, right? But but anything that's not on that list. But if even if you saw the client 10 times and it was one occasion you used play therapy or art therapy, for example, um, it's not that you're going to have to repay Medicare the rebate for that one session. You're going to have to do it for all 10 sessions. Okay, that's the rules. And I know this because even though I'm not a psychologist now, I still provide Medicare audit support to psychologists, social workers and OTs. And we go through this whole process. And the last audit support that I provided was about six weeks ago. And so I am across this. You have to repay not just for the session you stuffed up, but for all the sessions that there was a rebate provided. And you cannot then go back and say to the client, oh, hey, Medicare told me that I had to repay them all the rebates because I made a mistake in how I was treating you. So I'm just going to give you the bill for that. You're not allowed to do that either. Not ethical. Can't do that. So you lose that money. All right. It's important that you know this. Uh Okay. Now I'm just reading something here. It says a focus psychological strategy items do not apply for services that are provided by any other Commonwealth or state funded service or provided to a patient of a hospital. Um, Good to know. Private health insurance. Right. This is important, too, because when a client comes to you and they say, oh, OK, the fee's 150 and I'm going to get, you know, 89 or 90 dollars back from Medicare. Amazing. Uh, can I get the other 50 or 60 dollars back from my private health insurance? This is what you need to know. The answer is no. Patients need to decide if they're going to use their Medicare or their private health insurance to pay for the services. They can't use both for that session. Okay, important for you to know. 
Okay, so now I want to speak with you about referrals because this is where so many psychologists, so it's mostly psychologists and social workers, accredited mental health social workers, um, that I support with these Medicare audits, right? And it's the referrals that trip most of them up. And so this is really, really, really important. The referrals um, for your client must be for focused psychological strategies, right? Um, Now, the referral doesn't need to be on a specific form. It can be a letter from the doctor. And the letter from the doctor um, is going to be signed and dated by the doctor and it must include the patient's name, their date of birth and their address, their symptoms or a diagnosis and a statement of whether a mental health treatment plan has been prepared. It needs to include a list of their current medications, the number of sessions that the patient is being referred for. So this is the course of treatment that we were talking about before. You're not automatically going to get 10 sessions. You're going to get maybe four, five or six and then there's going to be a review You're going to get another letter back from the doctor that says, yes, you can have the balance or not. And it must include a statement about whether the patient has um, a mental health treatment plan or a psychiatrist assessment and management plan in place. Okay. Um, So the referral needs to include all of those details. Here's the thing. A lot of the time, and I'm not being disrespectful, but this is the reality. A lot of the time, for me, when I was working in a bulk billing medical center, doctors are lazy um, or or lazy or busy or I don't know, but the referrals come through and they're incomplete. And unless you've been audited, you might not be aware of how incomplete they are. And this is a problem because if you've delivered a service on an incomplete referral, you are then required to repay Medicare um, for every session that you provided to that patient under a, a referral because that referral isn't valid. Okay, so it's very important that you know exactly what needs to be included on that referral letter. Now, um, with a lot of the audit support that I provide for people. The, I say that the GP referral is so important because sometimes it's not dated. Sometimes the doctor's just printed it off and whacked it in the in tray. They haven't signed it. Um, it needs to have that signature on it. They haven't said whether there's a diagnosis or not. They haven't said whether there's the medications or not. They haven't said how many sessions are required. They haven't said whether or not they've put a treatment plan in place. And what happens is if one of those things is missing off the referral, it's not the doctor that gets in trouble, right? It's not the doctor that's got to pay back the money. It's you. You are the one that has to pay back all that money, okay? Um, Because you didn't check, that's your responsibility. So what I would suggest is you maybe make yourself a little checklist here so that as referrals come through, you can make sure that they meet the requirements for a Medicare audit if, if you're going to get audited. Audits happen, all right, and they happen a lot. Um, they happen at random for all different reasons. It doesn't matter how much you charge. It doesn't matter where you're located. It doesn't matter how many clients you see. 
audits happen um, and they can be very, very stressful and they can cause a lot of anxiety. And so I want to make sure that you're aware going into Medicare, if that's where this is all going, that you have all this information ahead so you can be really prepared, so it can be smooth sailing for you um, as you make your entrance into this space, okay? Now, you need to keep a copy of that referral on file. Um, it usually comes to you as a letter or a piece of paper. Usually the client will bring it along with them in their first session. I think that's a mistake because it doesn't give you time to verify everything. If a client brings that letter along on their first appointment, and this was a mistake I made, I just used to let clients bring it to the first appointment, but it meant that I too didn't give myself enough time to ring Medicare and check that they were eligible, to check that the referral was written up properly or all those sorts of things, right? So please encourage your admin or yourself if you're doing your own admin to get a copy of that referral ahead of the appointment so that you can make sure you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Um, now also the referring practitioner decides how many sessions the patient's going to get in a course of treatment. Okay. Not you, the maximum and the maximum session limit, right? So the initial course of treatment is a maximum of six sessions. So as I said, some doctors will say, I'll give you four sessions initially. I'll give you five or they'll just give you the six straight out. Okay. A subsequent course of treatment is a maximum of six sessions up to the treatment's cap of up to the patient's cap of 10 sessions. For example, if the patient got six sessions in their initial course of treatment, then they can only get four in the subsequent. All right. The written report provided by you following the course of treatment will be considered by the doctor in assessing that client's need for further sessions after each course of treatment. Now, this is important to understand because maybe as you know, six sessions, it's nothing like um, we want to be able to, um, you know, create lasting change for clients. And when we're working with clients in such a, a short space of time, it can be really difficult to achieve lasting change. In fact, um, you know, you can go and have a look again. It's on the ABS um ABS. It's Australian Bureau of Statistics. There's a lot of data there about the number of times people keep going back for mental health treatment plans. And part of the thinking around that is because six to 10 sessions isn't long enough to fix, in inverted commas, cure, solve a, a, a problem. Um, and people are reluctant to come back if they've got to pay a full amount out of pocket because they're used to only paying the $50 or $60 now, right? So they hold off on getting the help that they need and they carry over until the 1st of January the next year and they say, I'm back and you've got to start again. So um, there is a high level of return for clients on mental health care treatment plans, okay? And just something for you to know. Um, okay. What else? I'm just um, doing a, a quick check here. Continuing professional development 
for OTs and social workers. So if you're an OT or social worker, um, you're required to complete 10 hours of focused psychological strategies, CPD, um, annually. So that's important to know as well. It doesn't say anything there for psychs on, on this page that I'm looking at. So a few important things for you to be aware of. Like can you see there are advantages for clients on accessing Medicare because it's going to be more affordable for them. However, it can also be quite limiting. If you've got a client who may not be a good match for CBT or who may not be a good match for EMDR or who may not be a good match for you know they don't need anger management or they don't need social skills training they need something else you can't provide it under medicare unless it's one of those uh, pre-approved interventions so you can see it's quite limiting there and for you as a counselor it puts you in a bit of a position because you really want to do the right thing in inverted commas you really want to make sure your client's not out of pocket um, but you're not gonna be able to give them the help that you might feel is going to be the right help for that person or the right match for that person and get the Medicare rebate for them, okay? Um, so I can hear a neighbour is just getting out a whippersnipper or a chainsaw. So I might wrap this up quickly, but I just wanted you to be aware of that. And it's really important because as a counsellor, you have total freedom and you can draw upon, you can use eclectic approaches and you can draw upon the different types of tools and techniques and interventions and, and therapeutic modalities um, that are going to be the right match for a client. That client's not going to get a rebate, but they're going to get perhaps the real help that they really need. And I think there there isn't data available on this, but I feel like when clients or it's my belief that when clients are getting the the right help for them that they probably won't come back because they probably will be able to work through an issue or get whatever it is that they're needing be able to solve that problem or get the understanding and the clarity and move forward get the help that they need to move forward one of the reasons as you know that I released my registration as a psychologist was because I did move more into the esoteric I did move more into um, wanting to work with the soul blueprint you know transpersonal stuff isn't covered on Medicare um, and that was my thing like I, I'm really into Jungian stuff I really love archetypes I really love um, soul psychology I really love all of that but for me working under Medicare, I wasn't allowed to provide services like that. I was getting clients coming along saying they wanted that um, and I would have loved to have done it, but I couldn't deliver it because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't approved, you know. Um, and so you may find that you wind up in that dilemma too and if that happens, then I think you want to look at developing a model of practice that allows you to still do um, your private sessions like you're doing now, but be really clear for people who want rebates that they're not going to be able to access the services that they would normally get, right? The things that they're going to get on rebates as listed by Medicare are psychoeducation, so telling them about what anxiety and depression all that is. Um, CBT 
including behaviour modification, exposure techniques and activity scheduling, cognitive therapy, progressive muscle relaxation and controlled breathing, and skills training, problem solving, anger management, social skills training, communication training, stress management, parent management, narrative therapy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and EMDR, right? So just be really clear. Um, If it does come to the point where we're on Medicare, be really clear on your counselling website what they can get under rebatable sessions and also what they can get with seeing you without rebates and let your clients choose what's going to, to, you know, sit best for them in consultation with their doctor um, and yourself, of course. So really important there. Now, another thing that's come up and it came up again today in the counselling community and it was, can counsellors accept a mental health care plan? The answer is no, 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 no. And the reason for that is because um, a mental health care plan, as you can see here, requires that there's been an assessment made by the doctor, that there's been a diagnosis made by the doctor, that there's a list of medications, that there's, um, you know, a course of treatment recommended or required or requested by the doctor, that the doctor's made a decision that this person is going to need. And the doctor will list this usually on the on the referral. Um, the doctor will tell you what the client needs. The doctor will say the client needs psychoeducation or CBT or relaxation strategies or skills training or EMDR, for example. Now, you know, that's not counselling. Even ACA and PACFA both agree that these psychological services here are not counselling. So for a counsellor to say to a client, yes, I accept a mental health care plan, but you can't get a rebate, is misleading. It's misleading to the client. The the client believes that they're going to get what's on that referral they're not there for counselling. They're there for short, sharp treatment interventions listed on that plan. Um, Also, it's misleading because the doctor has determined that it's a psychologist or an accredited mental health social worker or an OT that is best positioned to support this client with given this client's history, which you're not aware of, given this client's background, given this client's needs, etc., 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 And so by you saying, yes, I, I accept the plan, but I can't do the rebate, again, it's misleading because a client's believing that they're getting the right help and they're not. You provide a different service um, and you could leave yourself open to being reported to places like HCCC, for example, for misleading a client now part of the reason that we're going to be moving into national standards is because under medicare and it's not only medicare but under lots of different things um funding things a big push is happening and has been happening to protect the public from dangerous practitioners or practitioners behaving dangerously and that means practitioners that are providing false and misleading information practitioners that are operating outside of their scope of training and expertise all those kinds of things 
So for you to say, yes, I'll accept your mental health care plan. And if that plan, for example, says cognitive behavioral therapy is what's required and you don't have a certificate or a diploma or PD in behavior mod or exposure techniques or activity scheduling, again, we've got a case here of being misleading, operating outside of your scope of competence or expertise. And again, it may be perceived as fraudulent and can be reportable. So save yourself the headache and simply say to a client, I do not provide services under a mental health care plan. I'm a private counsellor. I do not provide behaviour modification or exposure techniques. I do not provide social skills training or, you know, anger management training, etc., etc. But I do, as a counsellor, here, here is how I can help you if you have this problem. And here is how we can work together. But this mental health care plan is from your doctor and it's requiring that you do go and see a psychologist or a social worker or an OT. You have to be clear. You have to be ethical. It is not ethical to, to say to somebody you're going to accept a mental health care plan. It doesn't work. Save yourself potential trouble down the track do the right thing build up your reputation for being clear and working in integrity another thing that you can do is you can say to that client uh, who's made the inquiry maybe they're there with you in person or whatever you can say if you like I'd be happy to give you some information that you could take to your doctor and if you're about how I can support you and you can have a conversation with your doctor about that if you like I'm happy to contact your doctor and let your doctor know how I can help you so two different pathways there for you to educate the doctor about when it will be in the, the client's best interest to refer to you um, to, to work with you sorry okay so there are some things that you need to be aware of um, the other thing that I would recommend is you know 24 months doesn't it, it kind of sounds like oh it's two years away but let's face it it's going to go pretty quickly I mean think about what was happening in the world 24 months ago it's going to happen pretty quickly um, so what I would love for you to do is really go away and think about um, some of these focused psychological strategies that are on the better access um, plan at the moment and put them in your diary start looking now for PD so that you're prepared and you can hit the ground running when you start um, have something in place around what to say to clients or what you want reception to say to clients who approach you and they've got a mental health care plan this needs to be ethical we don't want you getting reported to anybody for saying you do one thing and, and you're doing something else counseling is not a focused psychological strategy they are two different things okay um, I just want to make sure that you're doing the right thing that you're acting in integrity for yourself and for your client you're not putting your client at risk if a doctor said the client needs exposure therapy or, and has ticked that on the referral and you're just like well I'll, I'll accept the plan from you from the doctor but I'm, I can't 
um, do the rebate and then you're just going to go off and do your own merry intervention. Maybe you're going to do play therapy or art therapy and you're not going to do the exposure therapy. There again, you've left yourself open, okay, to complaints and all those sorts of things and we don't want that happening for you, okay. So there's really a lot there to be aware of with Medicare. It is absolutely going to benefit counsellors who already work in the space of um, mental health and not all counsellors work in mental health. Like did you see here when we're looking at what's covered, relationship therapy isn't covered, couples therapy isn't covered, careers, uh, sorry I'm saying therapy, relationship counselling isn't covered, couples counselling is not covered, grief and loss is not covered, bereavement is not covered, um, careers is not covered, um, there's so many ADHD, ADHD stuff is not covered, there's so many different things that you do as a counsellor that aren't covered on Medicare. So Medicare may not be appropriate for you. So is there any benefit in you being part of a membership organisation that's pushing for Medicare and it's going to make you jump through scientific hoops and stuff like that if it's misaligned with how you practice and what you do, right? You can still work as a counsellor without having to jump through those hoops um, and you'll be able to still do the work that you really want to do. So just be aware, be really aware, keep yourself informed. Um, you know, I noticed that ACA are saying at the moment, you know, they're really big on only come to the ACA with your questions, don't go anywhere else, only get your answers from us. Um, I really feel like there are so many places you can get your information from and I disagree that you need to rely on one place only. And the reason that I say that is because of what happened with all of us psychologists with the APS, we, we made that mistake of only relying on our peak body to give us information and we were grossly misled and there was court action and, you know, all this sort of stuff that happened as a result of that. Um, and the stuff's still ongoing today, as I understand, um, around that. And we ended up with making a real mess of things because we were not informed. We solely and wholly relied on our peak body. I share this with you um, not to disparage you know APS or what happened but to make you learn and not make the same mistakes that so many psychologists made of just trusting our peak body please be good at asking questions please be good at um asking for more information please be good at researching don't be afraid to go onto the medicare website and have a look and see what's included and what's not and read up about what's a medicare audit and what's not you know there are other things with medicare as well with it's you know it's it's a different demographic of client than you're used to seeing as a counselor um Often, not all the time, but often there will be times with um, clients that you see on Medicare that will request reports from you and because they're used to getting things free of charge, they're not going to want to pay for reports and it's going to be a decision you make. Will I write this report for court or not? Will I charge for it or not? You will be asked by, you know, the community legal centre, for example, to write reports um, and you you may 
be able to charge, but it's unlikely that you're going to get paid. Um, and you're going to feel perhaps pressured to deliver free services. And you don't have that same pressure when you're working privately as a counsellor. Okay. It's different client groups have different client characteristics and different client needs and different client uh, requirements and you need to be across those and aware of those before you start delivering services in that space so that's why I did this episode for you today um I would really love for you to, if you do have questions about Medicare and what it's going to mean for you as a practitioner, I would love for you to email your membership body, whether it's PACFA or ACA or someone else, um, contact them and ask, you know, you've got nothing to lose and you're not going to get into any trouble, but certainly asking a question of, will I still be able to use this therapy if we're on Medicare? I think that's a really important question for you to ask because you've built a career around your niche or you've built a career around a particular modality that really aligns with you. Um, and it would be a shame for you suddenly not to be able to use it um, and to be now required to go and do retraining in a more scientific model that didn't align with you so that you could provide Medicare. So you're going to need to make choices over the coming years. You know, again, it sounds like a long time, but 24 months is going to go really quickly. But you're going to need to make some choices around um, the business model that you want to use. For me personally, Medicare was wonderful when I was first starting out it did fill my diary however it could have very easily learned to led to burnout because I found that because I wasn't charging my clients I did need to book high volume of appointments to to be able to um you know pay myself and and my overheads and stuff like that so there was that to consider um, I did want to start charging fees at one point in the medical centers, but because they're all bulk billing clinics, it was like no go. So I couldn't do that. I did have to write reports and things and stay back and, and do all of that unpaid. There were many times I had to go to court as an expert witness for clients unpaid. It meant that I had to cancel. So when you go to court for a client, it's not because you're in trouble or anything like that. You, the reason that they ask you to go to court is to explain to the court what's happening for this client, explain to the court what the diagnosis is, how that diagnosis can impair that, that client's functioning, like their decision making or their relationships or their work attendance or whatever it is in the context of why they're at court, stuff like that. So you go as an expert witness, you go as a friend to the court, you're not there because you're getting in big trouble. But it does mean that on very short notice, you're going to get a phone call from the registrar or from the solicitor to say, hey, we need you in court tomorrow or hey, we need you in court the day after tomorrow. You're then going to have to cancel all of those appointments. You're going to have to go, go to court. So you've missed all of that income for that day. Can't charge your client because if they're getting bulk billed, it's probably because they don't have money to pay you. And you can't charge the lawyer because it's not the lawyer that's, do you know what I mean? So you lose income that way. It feels nice to go and be supportive for your client, but it also feels like a lot of pressure because 
existing clients who have appointments booked in for that day can get grumpy because they do want to see you and now they're put out and if you're fully booked they might not your next available appointment might not be for a couple of weeks and you know it's just difficult for everybody so really think about um whether or not this is a good business model for you there may be you know I'm speaking generally and from my experience but I did not get paid one time in all the times I went to court as an expert witness I did not get paid once um it cost me money and there were times there where I went for the day and I was just sitting out in the foyer I never even got called in I was just sitting out there in my pencil skirt with my little blouse and my jacket you know my little suit jacket and my little briefcase and my iPhone and I was just scrolling through my iPhone stressed the whole time um, because I was worried about people I wasn't seeing but also because I was worried about when am I going to get called in what are they going to ask me stuff like that you know all the things so just be aware I'm sure there were there are psychologists who did manage to get paid for going to court and that's amazing but it it's just something I want you to know, okay? Um, Medicare is a wonderful way to get people introduced to counselling or psychology or mental health social work. It's kind of like EAP in that, you know, there's con- big concessions um, for them initially, but you need to learn how to convert those people to full fee paying afterwards so that they can complete a course of treatment properly and so that they can get the best from it. And so, again, that's something else for another episode, but that then comes back to do you feel comfortable converting clients? And if you don't, well, you've got two years to get comfortable with that. Um, And if you need support with that and help with that, you can come into the memberships. Just side note, it's covered in the memberships. Plus you get coaching calls with me in the memberships where we go over this. Um, So you've got time to learn how to convert people from from free or low cost services into full fee paying. Because again, ethically, you you have a responsibility and a duty of care to provide those people with a full course of treatment or therapy or counselling, depending on what lingo you want to use. Um, And you have a responsibility to let them know right from the beginning, this is what a course of treatment looks like. We're going to start here with this free or low cost thing and then we're going to move into this, right? So it's about being transparent, letting the clients know This is the pathway. This is what it's going to look like. This is what's included. This is what's not included. All those kinds of things. So if you want to um, read more about it, uh, you can go to um, www.9.health.gov.au forward slash MBS. Um, Also, side note, just looking, it's not a secure site. It's It's a government site. I mean, is it any wonder there are leaks and people you know grabbing the data I don't know anyway um that's that for this episode again this was just a informative episode to help you be across what Medicare looks like now for for psychologists and also interesting to note is at the moment there are two tiers for psychologists I've shared with you the rebate for um a psychologist who's not clinical and that is 89.65 
So that's what your client would get back, $89.65. Now, if you were going to provide a service and not charge your client, you would get that $89.65. Is that $89? Well, you wouldn't even get that. Sorry, because, sorry, this is the other thing I want to tell you. I'll share with you. Um, There are all these tiers. Psychiatrists get... A, a, a higher level then it's gps because gps can do all this work as well on a mental health care plan they can write them out and to each other or themselves and do do the counseling um and then it's clean psych so clean psychs i think oh, i can't remember and i don't have it in front of me but i think it's like 124 or something or 130 um they get and then all other psychs get 89.65 and then social workers let me just see if I can see what the social workers get I think it's ten dollars less I will just see if I can find it for you um Medicare item numbers for social work so social workers yeah it's ten dollars less it's 79 dollars and five cents so i'm guessing a counselor is probably going to be 69 dollars and five cents so it's not going to be possible for you to deliver free sessions to your clients i mean you can and of course if you have a business model where you're already profitable and you've got regular stable income coming in and the practice is established you want to do some pro bono sessions you can but what you will get for those sessions is probably going to be 69 dollars and five cents now if you're going to so i'm getting the hiccups now if you're going to be a fully bulk bill private practice that's the maximum you will get per client per 50 50 minute plus session right not much is it it's probably well about a third of what you should be getting um anyway or half of what you should be getting yeah about half of what you should be getting sorry which is not sustainable um yeah so even if you were charging the recommended fee my recommended fee which is 150 and the client was getting 69 dollars back the client is still going to be out of pocket Sorry, I'm just going to bring up my calculator because I don't want to do it wrong. It's okay. Hey Siri, $150 minus $69. It's 81 US dollars. So the client is still going to be paying you $81, All right? Um, they're still going to be out of pocket, that 80, $81. Just interesting to know. So anyway, I just wanted you to be aware of all of that. I hope that this was an informative session. Um, If you have any questions about Medicare, you've got the numbers. I provided them during our um, conversation today. Plus, you can also go and have a look at all of this information on the website that I provided you with today as well. Um, I think it would be a really good idea for those of you that do align with Medicare and you do want to deliver, you know, exposure therapy and CBT and relaxation strategies and, and you know, anger management and stuff. If, if that's what you really want to do and that's aligning for you, but you don't yet have 
PD in those things, I would definitely go and get them because um, if and when you get audited, it's going to help you to demonstrate your scope of competence because, again, you can't be working outside of that. Um, and same for things like, of course, EMDR. Um, so do go and if it does align with you, start making a plan now of what services you want to provide, like whether it's psychoeducation or motivational interviewing or any of those, and go hunting now for courses and get this PD done now so that you won't have to worry about it when the time comes. I am putting together a Medicare information pack for counsellors. So if you feel overwhelmed by all of this, um, please don't worry. I will um, make everything very simple. I will include some checklists for you so you don't have to create them. I'll put all of this information in table form and stuff like that. So it's really, really easy for you to follow. Um, and of course, not just for, for counsellors, but of course, um, you know, I'll include like an audit information pack, which is handy to have anyway, um, but also relevant for psychologists and social workers and OTs. I haven't supported an OT yet through the Medicare audit process, um, but the process is the process. Um, so I will also include that for you as well. Um, I will try and get this out for you in the next week or so um, so that you can grab it. I think it's going to be a really handy resource for you to have. But do keep your eye on Medicare and what's happening. Please do not solely and wholly rely on your professional body for support with this um one of the other things that i just i can't see the aca membership breakdown i don't have access to the annual report because i'm not in the club but pagfa have put their annual report online and you can go and download that and have a look but um, I was looking at this this morning because I wanted to look at the membership breakdown. Really interesting that, um, you know, I mean, congratulations, they've got, you know, 5,560 odd people now in their in their membership. Now, to me, I mean, that's a huge achievement for them. And that's amazing. I'm so pleased for them. But at the same time, that's like a drop in the ocean compared to how many counsellors are actually out there. I mean, how many counsellors are operating and don't listen to this podcast or aren't in the Counsellors Connect Australia group and don't know about all of this stuff or aren't in ACL Packford because they just don't want to be. Like, there, to me, it just feels like this is a drop in the a drop in the ocean. But anyway, when you have a look here at the um, membership, you can see that um you know of the what have we got well interesting of the actual individual members sorry it's not 5560 it's 5229 um of those 74 aren't practicing 14 are academic 153 are affiliates so we can count out a whole bunch there already um then we've got students who I don't know if they're going to be practicing or not. I don't know what, what's going on with them. Um, then we've got new grads. Um, and then we've got provisional. And then we've got clinical. So 
clinical, I imagine, is um, PACFA's like fully registered, you're good to go, you can, you know, off your trot sort of thing. They've only got 1,619 members. Now, again, it's well done to them for for getting those numbers. That's huge. It's great. I wish I had 1,619 members in my paid memberships. I don't yet. Um, So I know the work that goes into getting that. But I guess my concern is if there's only a hundred and if there's only 1,619 members that can do this work, are they really representing everybody? Do you know what I mean? Like, and of those 1,619, how many actually want Medicare? And of those 1,619, how many actually want to be um, under national standards? And of those 1,619, how many want to be regulated? I don't know. It's just interesting. But I'd be really interested to know what the ACA's membership breakdown looks like. Um, Again, these are such small numbers. When you think about the counselling community in Australia, and it includes, counsellors include, um, I know some people in ACA and PACFA won't like this, but psychologists do do counselling. Not all psychologists, but many of them do do counselling. Um, social workers, even if they don't have the accredited mental health counsellor, there are still some social workers that are doing counselling. Pastors, um, so I'm talking like religious pastors here, um, they do counselling. Wellbeing teams at schools do counselling but they're not likely to be in PAC for ACA, but they're still providing counselling. So there's so many people doing counselling who may not be calling themselves counsellors or who may not be in one of these memberships or da-da-da-da-da. I just feel like, I don't know, I just want to make sure people are, are fairly represented and um, this now is while these national standards are in the throes of being developed, I think now is the time for you to raise your voice, raise your hand, ask the questions, go to Philip Armstrong, go to Joanna DeWeaver, go to who, whichever membership you're in and ask the questions. And you know what? You can also get under freedom of information if you are aware that you're membership body has been having meetings with government departments you're entitled to the transcripts of those meetings okay now because I'm not in either of those groups I don't know if they readily share I don't know how transparent ACA and PACFA are I don't know if they just tell you things after it's happened or if they're just like parenting you and saying um don't worry just just sit there and you know do your thing and I'll just come back to you when I've got some more information or if they're saying here's what's happening here's a transcript of this, here's a transcript of that. What I am aware of is I was able to get a transcript from PACFA. So I think they're probably, um, I can't say more transparent than ACA because I can't access any of the ACA stuff. Therein again, it says a lot, doesn't it? But anybody can go onto the PACFA website and you can download some transcripts of um, times that they've been like at that Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Select Committee. Like you can go and transcript that and download that transcript so um i would be requesting transcripts 
the ACA recently emailed their members to say that they'd had a meeting uh, you know, and PACFA were present at that meeting too. Um, but they said that they had this meeting with the health committee. Well, ask, can we have a, uh, can we have a copy of the transcript of that meeting, please, Philip? And get, get yourself a copy. And if he doesn't give it to you, go to PACFA and ask. They may give it to you. It looks like they're very, they're very open to, you know, making the transcripts public. But if they don't, then you can go to the health committee and you can request under freedom of information, a copy of that transcript. And I'm going to do that because I want to know exactly what's been said. I want to be fully informed and it's just me and it's just my own wounds from what happened in psychology, but I don't trust peak bodies to be open. Um, Yes, I'm saying what happened with the APS is going to happen with ACA and PACFA. It's my own stuff I need to work through. I know that. But I would rather be fully informed than not informed. So, yeah, um, I'll be requesting a copy of that transcript. And when I get it, I'm happy to share it in the Counselors Connect Australia group. But if you want a copy as well, there's nothing stopping you from just writing to the ACA or giving them a call and requesting a copy of that transcript from the meeting that they had last week. It'll be there. You'll be um, It'll be readily available and they should just be able to flick it to you uh, via email if they haven't popped it on their website. Um, and again, as I said, if they don't give it to you, you can just ring the health committee and request a copy and they'll certainly send it out to you. Um, in which case, if you do get it, please read it properly. Um, please read it with a critical eye. Ask yourself questions like, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my practice? What will this mean for my clients? Make notes, you know, highlight things, make notes, ask questions. Um, because once this all goes through and national standards are in place, you can't undo that. There's, there's not going to be any turning back. So get all the information you can now. Ask the questions you can now. You have a voice now. Now is the time to use it. Okay. Now, also, just before we finish up, somebody was asking me in the group today, have we heard back from Philip or Joanna yet about um, coming into the group to do a Q&A with our members and answer any questions? Neither of them have responded to that request, which is a little bit disappointing, isn't it? Two industry leaders declining to, to speak with us. Well, not declining, but um, not replying. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they'll um, get back to us in the next week or so. If not, um, what I will be doing is I will be collating all of the questions in our question thread and I'll be submitting them for answer. Um, and we're just going to take it one step at a time. If we get no answers from, from either side uh, to our questions, well, I think, again, that should be, um, that's a red flag and, yeah, we'll have to look at next steps from there. But hopefully we're going to see some transparency during this um, important time in our community. So this is your time. If it's not about being rebellious, it's not about causing trouble, it's not about anything like that. This is about you having all the information you need at your fingertips to decide whether or not you're going to continue your membership with these um, organisations or if you're going to uh, want to be with an organization that's pushing for Medicare, does align with you or not, or do you need to go somewhere else, or what national standards are going to mean for you. 
Okay, so yeah, if you want to discuss this further, of course, jump into the Counselors Connect group. Um, the group is so good at the moment. I, that's something else I wanted to share with you. Given the highly contentious and sensitive nature of everything that's happening in the community at the moment and the posts that I put up last week, I have been just blown away by the level of professionalism um, between the members of the CCA, the Councillors Connect Australia, in terms of approaching this. I know that especially for members who have diploma qualifications, this is an especially concerning time, a worrying time. Um, but I just want to acknowledge that everybody has just handled themselves so well. I mean, you can go back through the, the question and answer thread there and you can see Sometimes there have been instances of people having different perspectives and different opinions, but they're discussing things um, nicely and with respect. And there's no more of that bullying or the negativity and that harassment and all that. That seems to have gone and it has just opened the door to a more rich a more valuable conversation and remember too in our group there we have over 6,300 members and in any given week over 5,800 are active that means that they come in and they read and they engage and they look at what's going on and stuff like that but many of them are silent members as well so I think it's just wonderful that we can now we're now moving into a space where we're behaving as professionals we can have professional type conversations um, even though they may be you know having a lot of potential to be emotionally charged but we can have these conversations now and it's going to move us forward together as a community right irrespective of with your if you're with ACL PACFA or ASW or not with anyone or whatever we're all doing counseling and many of us are counsellors, um, we are the counselling community, right? And we are the big voice here, not PAGFA or ACA. It's our big, the big community of counsellors. We are, are the voice here. And it's by us coming together and having these discussions that we get to influence what's going on. Um, and by having these types of conversations be so um respectful and be so value packed it really helps us um guide how how we want things to go down the track and you know what it might be that you know as a community we're happy to to support pack for as a community we're happy to to support ACA or or none or whatever but the strength in our community and the strength in the voice that we have, okay? And I don't know. I'm even thinking as I'm sharing this with you out loud and it's just it's just stream of consciousness talking here. But, you know, we have more members in our group than PAC for having theirs. And um, in my community, I've got more members than PAC for an ACA combined. So it may even be possible that, if as a community we decide that we're not on board with where PACFA and ACA are going with this, maybe as a community 
we write a letter to the health department or we do our own thing and we express our own concerns and we say, hey, we don't align with either of these at the moment. Um, we are the counsellors <laughs> um, and, and this is what we propose or, or this is what we suggest or this is what we recommend. There's certainly scope for these conversations to be had now. Um, and the reason that we're not involved in these discussions is just because it's not come up before. But we certainly can be. There's nothing stopping you from having a voice as an individual or for us as a big community from having a voice. As an individual, the way to have a voice would be to submit in writing an email or a letter to the health committee saying, I don't align with PACFA or I don't align with um, ACA and, and this is why or that's why or and putting in your suggestions you can submit suggestions the health committee will listen to them the health committee will read them the health committee will receive them and acknowledge them and you can submit suggestions yourself as an individual counsellor right about your thoughts on the national standards your concerns, your recommendations. You can do that. There is nothing to stop you from doing that. And in fact, I would encourage you to do it because if you stay silent, it's just going to be these two that steer the ship and then we're all just going to be dealing with whatever these two decide. These two I'm talking about, PACFA and ACA being the, the influential ones that are coming together here. So, um yeah, I just wanted to share that with you because I know there are some of you who are feeling powerless at the moment, but I want you to say, no, you actually have more power than you realize. And this is an opportunity for you now, um, especially now while, while this committee is getting set up and they're exploring everything. The next two years, you know, do it this week. Make a note in your diary Monday morning. I'm going to email the health committee you know, and I'm going to share my concerns or my recommendations or, you know, putting my two cents. This is your time. Um, you can be heard. You can um, have a voice. You've got a voice and it's okay and it's safe for you to use it. All right. That's what I want you to take away from this. So I hope that this was an informative episode for you. I know it went on a little bit longer than normal, but I felt it was just really, really important to share this with you. Um, and as I said, if you have any questions or discussion points or things you want to raise, please come into the Counselors Connect Australia group and do that. If you're not in the Counselors Connect Australia group yet either, um, I would love for you to come along and join. It's easy to find. We're just on Facebook. Um, and yeah, keep informed even if you perhaps want to be in the silent audience that's totally fine you're welcome to not get involved in discussions that's totally fine but at least you can read what's going on and you can stay informed that way okay so have a beautiful sunday gabe and i are going to go and have lunch now oh i'm so excited i'm so excited let me tell you something else just quickly I got Gabe and I a love seat. I know it's, oh, I needed to replace the desk chair for my study um, because it's on casters and I'm on carpet and da, 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 da. But anyway, and 
I was just like, yeah, I want to get a chair. And then I was looking at Gabe and I was just thinking how much I love him. He's my Maltese cross. If those of you, my Maltese cross rescue dog, he's 13. And um, oh, I just love this dog to bits. Um, and I was looking at him and he was giving me like a message. He was communicating with me telepathically, I like to think. <laughs> he was like, mum get me a chair that I can get on to. So I was thinking, what do you call those chairs? Like, I don't want to get a sofa. I've already got a couch. Like, what's a different type of chair? And then I was like, oh, I think it's called a love seat. So I looked up love seats and now I've bought a love seat. I'm so excited because it comes in four days and I've got to assemble it myself, which is a little bit concerning because I'm not great with, well, I'm sure it's not flat pack. I'm sure I'm just going to have to screw in the legs. That's it. I think I can manage that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be so cool because then when I do my videos for PP101 and the Inner Circle and Digital Product Success Hub and all of that sort of stuff, Gabe will be able to be on the couch with me and it's going to be so great. And you'll be able to see him and he can see you. And oh my gosh, he loves watching TV. I don't know if I've shared this with you either. It cracks me up so much. Like, at night, I'll be watching TV and, um, you know, my mum lives with me because I look after her, as you know. So uh, my mum and I'll be sitting there watching um, MasterChef or something like that. Gabe loves MasterChef, um, of course, because he loves snacks. So, um, you know, if my mum and I are talking and it's bothering Gabe, <laughs> Gabe will get up and he'll walk um, from where we're sitting to over right in front of the TV and he'll make a real production of like having to move up to TV so he can focus and listen over the top of our talking. <laughs> but Gabe's favourite shows, uh, he really loves MasterChef. Um, and he really loves anything with police in it. So he loves, loves, loves Line of Duty. And he really enjoyed Blacklist. Um, and the other thing that he really enjoys, which is just so disgusting, um, is he really loves watching um, the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. So there's a series on that shows you about um, – DCC and how they get all the new cheerleaders um, to apply and they've all got to do their dances and everything. Oh, so gross. Gabe like gets right in front of the TV and he stretches his neck forward and he's like fully ogling the, the women. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> but anyway, you'll get to see Gabe. Hopefully, um, hopefully like he can get up on the love seat. I'll pick him up obviously um, and I'll get a little blanket because the love seat is white or cream or something because everything in my room is white or cream because I went for a boho theme so I've got lots of foliage and plants and things like that in here so I'll get a little um, blanket to protect the the thing and a cushion for his little back and hopefully he can just have a little sleep or he can pop up and say hello to everybody now that he knows how to watch tv so yeah I'm really excited to get that fun times ahead you know one of the perks of working from home really isn't it <laughs> Okay, well, have a beautiful Sunday. I'll say it again, and um, I'll see you inside the group. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Private Practice with Soul podcast. Bye for now. I hope that you loved this episode as much as I loved putting it together for you. To get more resources to help you in your private practice, head over to Instagram. My handle is at the private practice coach. And also, if you want more inquiries and referrals for your business, let me know. I have a program called Clients on Demand that opens every quarter and I can absolutely get you some information for that as well. You are doing an amazing job. Thank you for sharing your gifts with the world. Bye.